Well, we have been in Philippians, and we were in chapter 2 the last time we stepped off of, of Philippians. And uh, so we're going to jump to Philippians 2, verse 12 through 18 today. Uh, the book's full of truth, full of great encouragement, not only for, for the local church and for this church, the church of Philippi, but for us as we journey through uh, this life as Christ followers and just trying to figure it out and, and, walk, with, and walk with Jesus. Remember, uh, at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul longed for this church to be one. He wanted them to be unified. And and we mentioned a couple weeks ago that if we don't get anything else right as a church, and we might not, uh, but we're going to be a unified body. Because a unified body, man, can just make an incredible difference, not only in their community, but around the world. And we want to be one. We want to walk in humility. And that's what Paul longed for this church. And he pointed to the greatest example of somebody that that was humble, and he pointed to Jesus. Some of the most powerful you know, verses in all of Philippians are Philippians uh, 2, verse, I think verse 6, and it goes on where it talks about Jesus humbled himself and, 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 he, and he made himself a servant so that he could, he could die on the cross for you and I. And he's been exalted. He's been he's at the right hand of the Father and that one day every tongue uh, will confess, every knee is going to bow, says in Scripture, and confess that he is Lord. So Paul continues on in Philippians 2, and, and let's, let's just jump in in verse 12 and, and, and read it, and we'll make sense of it the best we can today. Therefore, my dear friends, anytime you're reading the Bible and you come across, therefore, you must perk your ears up and ask the question, what in the world is it there for? There you go. You can finish that. That's what you got to ask, because he wrote it for a reason. So why, what's it there for? It's therefore, he's pointing back to what he just shared about Jesus that he is good, that he humbled himself, that he walked in humility. So church, you have no excuse to not walk in humility. That's what Paul's saying to the Philippian church. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He longed for this church to rid themselves of, 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 of disunity, of dissension. He, he longed for this church to rid themselves of, of kind of this me-centered living. Uh, Paul made it very clear that, that salvation, although it's that one-time thing where we put our faith in Christ, yes, you are saved in that moment. But he's trying to get them to understand the process doesn't stop there, that we continue to grow more and more like Jesus, and it's a lifetime process. We talked about it week one, the process of sanctification, of being set apart, of being made holy uh, like Jesus Christ. Remember the very first week we talked about Philippians 1 verse 6, and Paul says, be confident of this, rest assured, know that you know that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, right, in Christ Jesus. He initiated, he started, he's a good God, and he will carry it to completion But we also said it's not just we just kind of sit back and take me on a journey. That there's a part we have to play in this spiritual growth process that we're on. In this journey of following following Jesus. So what does Paul challenge this church right out of the gates in, in, in verse 12? He says this. He says you need to continue to work out. You need to actively pursue obedience, Church of Philippi. Yeah, you're in a pagan city. Philippi's got a lot of stuff going on. You're easily swayed towards that. Oh, but do your best. Actively pursue obedience. Work it out on a daily basis. It's a daily grind of working out 
your salvation. Work it out with fear. Is he saying walk through life fearful? Be nervous? Walk on eggshells? Look over your shoulder? What's going on with my salvation? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about with reverence, with humility. Walk and continue to work out your salvation with fear. Respect God. Do it with fear and trembling. Trembling is this, it's this healthy respect of God. I want to be obedient to you. I don't want to let you down by, by anything else less than me being obedient to you. Paul says, you know what, Church of Philippi, I'm not sure if I'm going to see you again. I might be put to death here in days, maybe weeks, maybe months. But whether I see you again or whether in my absence, I encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you. Don't let up on the journey of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. He, he makes it so clear to this church that it's not just, you know, Christ follower, you're saved from sin. You know, you're good. Just live it up now, right? You're saved from sin, you're in. No, he's saying you're saved. You're saved to something great. You're saved to new life in Christ. So live it to the fullest. Live it to the fullest. Chase after him. It's a lifetime process. And he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You serve a God, Church of Philippi. He's doing his part. Man, do your part. Chase after him. Paul longed for the Philippian church to, to live out their salvation, to practice this, to understand what it means to be a healthy follower of Christ. And he reminded them, you know what? It's not like he's just saying, figure it out. He's going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit's going to walk alongside with you as he works this out for his purpose in your life. Now, uh, I know we, don't, we would never change Scripture, right? But we, we change it by the way we live our lives. And we, we think that this verse says this sometimes. Verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill... My purpose, right? But that's not how it works. But let's be honest, we want God to will and to act in our life for our purpose, for our happiness, for our, for our joy, right? So how many of you, you've taken prayers to God over and over and over again only for him to not answer it in the way that you requested him to answer it, right? And then you get down the journey, maybe a few weeks or a month or maybe even a year or a season of life later and you look back and you're like, thank the Lord that he did not answer that prayer the way that I asked him to, right? How, how many of you, your life would be an absolute wreck, an absolute mess if he answered every single prayer with a huge yes that you've prayed? You probably wouldn't be married to the person you're married to. You wouldn't be working where you're working. You wouldn't be living in this community. Who knows what you'd be doing because of all our silly prayers of God, would you? And then he said, well, you're going to have to wait on that. No, I'm not going to do that for you. Maybe Garth Brooks had it best, right? The sum of God's greatest gifts, or what? You know that song, Garth Brooks. Unanswered prayers, right? Man, God has our best interest at heart. And Paul's letting this church know it is God, and it is God alone that's going to will and act to fulfill his, not yours, his purpose in your life. Powerful passage. Powerful passage for the Philippian church to get this and to understand this. We shared a few weeks ago, and I, I have to remind myself often uh, this idea that, that God's thoughts are not my thoughts. When I want him to, to do it my way, his ways, are not, his ways are not my ways. They're far greater than mine. His timing, don't you wish his timing was your timing? And like, come on, let's get going. His timing's not your timing. That God is on his own schedule. He is God. And that he can be trusted. 
That God can be, God, you, can, you can depend on him to come through when, when he says that he's going to come through. And I found as well, and I'm sure this was going on in the Philippian church as well, that we often go to God in prayer that he would, we're in a tough season, well, he'll remove that tough thing or that trial or whatever it is that's going on. God, would you just remove it? Would you make it well? And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm trying to grow something in you. I'm trying to grow perseverance in you. I'm trying to teach you contentment. I'm trying to teach you what, what it means to, 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 be, to persevere through, through this. And it's as if God is letting us know, and, and through really through verse 13, that God's ultimate goal for your life, I don't know if you've ever heard this, God's ultimate goal for your life is not your happiness. His ultimate goal for your life is to develop holiness in you. And it's a process, sometimes a painful process. But that's what God wants to develop and grow in us. And we're saying, God, remove this, take it away. This is awful. This is ugly. Make me happy, right? And God says, all right, but not at the expense of making you holy. I think happiness is a byproduct of, of living a holy, true happiness is, of living a holy, holy life. Man, God's plans are better. And through it all, Paul is saying, whether I see you again or not, would you trust in God? Would you know that you know that you know that he is good and that his plans are going to be better than yours every day in every moment? You know, our response to that should be, God, I don't, I don't know what's next. I don't even know what's coming in the next hour and what's coming Monday. But you know, one thing's rest assured. I've already drawn a line in the sand that, God, I'm going to trust you. Because, God, I know you're, in, you're working in my life to will and to act for your purpose. And if it's for your purpose and your glory and your good, it's good enough for me, right? He goes on in verse 14, and he talks about, uh, really gives him some practical advice. Some practical advice as a church. I'm sure this uh, thing that he's about to talk about was going on, maybe not only in the church, but in the, church, the city of Philippi. As it was a pagan city, there's a lot of stuff going on. This church is easily, you know, moving towards uh, what the world would want to be about. And Paul says these words to this group of people because he wanted this church not only to be one, but he wanted in no way, shape, or form for them to lose their witness, hinder their witness, tarnish or stain their witness to a, to a world that desperately needed Jesus. So here's what he says. This is pretty good. This is like for us today, 101. Philippians 2, 14 through 18, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Anybody ever grumble a little bit or argue once in a while or hear it? It's like somebody else does. So that you may become blameless and pure, Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, which he wrote it for today, it's getting nothing but worse, right? Then you will be shine like, uh, here's the result if you figure this out, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He goes into this whole arguing, complaining, questioning type thing that's going on in this community. And there's really a theme that happens all throughout Scripture, and I want to unpack it just for a second. It started at the very beginning, and it's this idea that God initiates in our life, and then we respond to it. God initiates through His Word, gives us truth, there's truth packed in this thing, and then we respond to it. He gives us His Word, and we can either be obedient to it, or we can disobey God's Word. 
He initiated by realizing, man, this group of people, they blew it big time. They need a savior and they need someone to bridge the gap. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He initiated, he did the work. And now we can respond by either receiving him as our Lord and Savior, or we can reject Jesus. He, he gives us gifts. He gives us talents, right? The Bible says we all, some of you are like, I don't have any gifts. Everybody has at least one, so you got one, all right? He gives us gifts and talents and resources and, and things so that we can navigate through this life, things that we need to be the best we can spiritually. And we can either use those gifts, those talents, and those resources, as Matthew 25, the, the parable of the talents talks about. We can either bury them, and we can use them for ourselves, or we can respond as God already initiated and put them in our life. We can respond by using them for his good and for his glory. God initiates by convicting us of sin at times. He says, hey, this isn't good. Uh, this needs to be removed from your life. He points it out very clear. It's like a blinking red light. It's like you're staring into this huge mirror and you see it like plain as day. And we can either respond by saying, oh, I'm gonna repent of that. God, I'm, I'm, I, I ask for forgiveness. Or we can say, God, don't worry about it. This is my little mess over here. You leave me alone, right? We can respond one of two ways. How are you responding to God as he is initiating in your life? Are you responding with obedience or are you responding with rebellion? Paul, in this passage, makes it very clear God initiated again. Paul, what, what's some themes that he's already shared with this church? I want you to be morally pure. I want you to walk in humility. I want you to be one I want you to be a light to the world. I want you to be a witness to Philippi and to the ends of the earth. And you can either respond. God initiated. He's calling you to it. You can respond by being obedient and doing that. Or you can respond by complaining and arguing and questioning God and, and, and saying, God, there is no way you're calling us to do this, right? You know, a better translation of complaining uh, in this particular passage is this. It's, it's to murmur under your breath, to mumble or to grumble. Anybody ever in here, uh, you complain once in a while, you murmur under your breath? How many of you would raise your hand and say yes? How many of you would raise your hand, the person beside you has a problem with that? Anybody? Yeah, everybody's hands are up. Yeah, there's, they stink at it, but me, I'm good. Yeah, to murmur under your breath, to mumble, to grumble, to complain, he says another one that, man, when we do that church, Church of Philippi, Church of Centerville Community, uh, it causes dissension. It causes disunity. It causes division. It's going to hurt your witness to this community. It's going to hurt your witness to the world. And he says, don't argue either. He said, you're arguing. It, just, it leads you to nowhere good. And a better literal translation for arguing here is to reason against, to question God. Anybody ever done that? Or to actually come along and put God on trial is what that means. That God, I can't believe you would. You better do this if you're really real. And we put God on trial like he's the one that owes us the answer in that moment. And Paul says this will creep in like a cancer like you wouldn't believe. And this has nothing to do complaining, arguing, questioning, murmuring under your breath. That has nothing to do with the attitude in the heart of our Savior. So rid yourself of it. Do everything you can to steer the other direction. Don't be a part of it. Instead, do everything in your life. Accept everything in your life without these things. Questioning God. 
saying, God, if you would have, this wouldn't have, and putting him on trial. How could Paul say this? I mean, the stuff you're dealing with, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. When, when we hit a trial in my own personal life or our family, whenever it's big, big deal. And for us to say, well, I'm just going to do everything not to complain and argue, why could Paul say it? Well, Paul, he looked through life through the lens of, of Philippians 1 verse 21. Remember that? To live as Christ. What's the second part? See if he even showed up that week. To die is gain. That's the second part. And that was his life motto. And he said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Je- I, I know what Jesus has done for me. So everything in my life is through that lens. It's like walking through life like this because Jesus is good. And if Jesus really did humble himself and, 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 and he went to the cross for you and I, now he's exalted and, and, and he's the right hand of the Father and one day every tongue's going to confess and every knee is going to bow before Jesus, then why can't we get this right? That's what Paul's saying. To stop complaining and questioning our God. And a huge question, probably one that we can't even figure out today, but as you find yourself in that spot next time, is, are, are you doing pretty good at that? Or do you find yourself questioning God? Are you complaining towards God? Are you murmuring towards God? How are we as a church doing in this area? Because Paul was addressing the church. He's saying, Church of Philippi, you don't get this right. Your witness will be tarnished. But if you do get it right, You'll see later, you're going to shine like a, like a star in the sky. You'll be a light to the world. And we could all say in here today that at one time or another, we've had those moments in our life where complaining and arguing just seemed normal. That's what everybody else is doing. So I'll just join right in, right? I think even more so for us today, as American Christians, we have um, to work, we have to double down on this. Because those that have been given so much to a place where it's turned into kind of a disease of I deserve and I need to be happy and I want more and here's my rights and blah, 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 blah. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. We can easily get to a place where we just look no different than the world. And we complain and we argue and we murmur and we question God and I can't believe and you said and I'm not going to, you know how it goes? It just snowballs and gets to an ugly, ugly place. And Paul's telling the church of Philippi, and I think he's saying 2018 churches, Let's, let's model something different. Let's be something different. Let's, let's exalt Christ by the way we live. Let's point people to Christ by the way we live. In everything we do, let's not argue. Let's not complain. Let's not, let's not murmur. You know, some of you in here have been overseas. A lot of you have. And when you go overseas and, and uh, you realize over half the world lives on less than two bucks a day, and then you come back home and you're like, what? I should never complain ever again in my entire life, right? Because they have it so much worse. And yet we find ourselves doing that. Some of you in here have went through dire straits, even in this country, where you felt like things are awful. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know what's coming next. Maybe you feel like you're at that spot now. And in that moment, you have a whole new perspective when it comes to complaining and murmuring and arguing with God. Nat and I have sponsored a couple Compassion Kids I feel like the one we've had for 25 years, I mean, he's, he's got to be 20, so I think we just dropped off, and then there's another one. A wool abdu from Ethiopia. And I can only imagine someday if I meet a wool, and I forget, what's our other boy's name? Dismas, that's right, Dismas. Uh, I can only imagine that some, if I was ever to meet him someday and I start sharing some of my American problems with them, complaining and arguing, and we gather for dinner, and I say, man, I ordered my meal 15 minutes ago. Why is it not out here yet, Right? Oh, man, the hot water heater went out. 
I'm going to have to take a cold shower. I, I need instant hot, hot water, right? Oh, the internet, it's buffering again. Cable TV will not come in, and this is so maddening. Can you believe they cook my, overcook my steak? Just take it off the grill. I like it a little bit red and pink in the inside. Take it off the grill, right? It'd be an absolute joke. And you know, every one of those I just shared was probably me in the last three months. Our hot water heater went out. Somebody probably was late on our meal. Overcooked my steak. Uh, the internet's slow. All of those. You know what I call those? First world problems. And here we are complaining about all these things. And what we need is a new perspective. And we need to have a heart of gratitude and really an attitude of gratitude, especially if any month I have one, it should be now to be thankful, to flip complaining and arguing on its head and just be full of gratitude and full, full of thankfulness. Why? Because it is God who wills and acts in our life for his purposes. I'm so thankful for that because all we need to do our part then is to trust him. That's how we respond, to trust and depend upon him. So it's a big question. It's a tough question as you look at Philippians 2 in this particular passage. Are we living lives that are full of gratitude, thankful? Or are we at a place where we're just kind of grumbling and mumbling through life and everybody sees it? Or are we living out Ephesians 4.29? You know that one, don't you? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth that's up on the screen but only what is helpful for building others up according uh, uh, to those who listen. It's according to who, uh, uh, his needs in other passages and other versions. We serve a God that would love his people, love for you and I to be a people of trust, to be a people of thankfulness. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, what's the Bible say? The mouth speaks. Sometimes what comes out is it's rooted deep inside of us. And we need to get to a place as a church and as Christ followers, wherever we go, and I have to figure this out myself, where I can learn to stop complaining, stop arguing, stop murmuring. It's not helping anybody. It's not, as the passage says, it's not benefiting anybody. And quite honestly, I think God in heaven's getting sick and tired of it. And so are the people around you and I when we do it. You know, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had, uh, they had their moments Moments where they said, all right, God, I'll listen. And then they had huge moments where all they had to do was listen and things would have been good. Remember when they were in bondage and slavery? God made a way for them to get out. Uh, they were able to, to get out, divinely get out of bondage and slavery. And, and God began to create a better future for them and, and gave them a new purpose. And as they leave, what do they do? They're thankful? No, they mumble. And they grumble and they say, I want to go back. Uh, at least we got better food. Pharaoh had better kitchen. He had better lodging. It was tough work. Yeah, we were slaves, but I want to go back. And God says, all right, well, then here, here's your next destination. And their next destination was some 40 years. They found themselves kind of wandering around, eating the same meal over and over and over again. An entire generation missed because a group of people, instead of trusting and depending on God, said, this is a joke. This is your best. I want nothing to do with it. We serve a God, I want you to know today, and we sang about it, that absolutely loves you, lavishes his love, the Bible says, on you. He abounds in grace. He's full of mercy. 
He has your best interest at heart. He's working things out in your life for his purpose and for his glory. But there, we also serve a, a, a God that uh, when, when it's enough, enough's enough. A God that would rather not choose discipline as a first resort. Um, he'd rather choose us to be obedient as the first resort. But there are times in our life that he'll allow us to go through some, some stuff if it means it's ultimately going to get us to heaven and to make Jesus Lord and Savior. Some of you, that's your story. It wasn't until you hit the worst of the worst of crisis moments that you said, all right, almost like the sun in, in, in Luke 15, it popped his head out of the sand and it says it came to his senses and said, man, I, I want to I come back to the Father. I want to come back to Jesus. We serve a God that is working right now in your life. He's initiating. He's working to will and to act for his good and for your good. Isn't that incredible? That's who we serve. That's who our God is. He goes on in Philippians 2, I want to wrap it up, verse 14 through 18. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I know that's the norm, just don't so that you may become blameless and pure. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you begin to work on the heart, uh, this stuff that comes out of your mouth, this complaining, this arguing, it's gonna, it's gonna start taking care of itself because you're staying connected to the vine. You're staying connected to me. Become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He says, church, if you can figure this out with the help of the Holy Spirit, here's what's gonna happen, and it's gonna be incredible. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If you get this right, when Jesus, if, you, if you live a life that says, Jesus, when you speak, I'll do it. If you call me to it, I'm going to head that way. God, if you initiate, I'm going to respond with obedience. God, when stuff happens in my life, I'm not going to respond with complaining and negativity and arguing. I'm going to respond with trusting I'm going to respond with dependence upon you. And it says, when we get to this place, we will shine like stars in the sky. Church of Philippi, you will be a light, not only to your town, but to the world, if you get this right. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, verse 18, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. People look at you and they say, what in the world is so different about you? You are in a mess. You are in a huge trial, a huge setback. You are in the worst of the worst of circumstances, and yet you have hope and you have joy. And then there's the open door for you to share about Jesus. Somebody may come and say, man, your pain is, is so much more recent than mine. This happened to me a while back, or I went through the same thing you're going through, but you're, just, you're, you're going through it differently. What's up with that? How do you have such a hope and, and this concrete joy deep down inside of you? And man, Paul says when we get to this place, knowing that God's he's willing and acting on our behalf for his purpose, you will shine like stars in the sky. You will become pure and blameless to a dark generation. 
What would it look like for us? And I, I hope to get here, and I got a long way to go before I do. I can say it pretty easily, but I don't know if my life matches it. What would it look like for you and I and for this church and for Christ followers around the world to simply say, you know what? I don't know what's next. I don't know what's tomorrow. I don't know what's next week. I don't know what's coming in the years to come. But I'll tell you one thing. I trust in my God, and I know that he's good. What would it look like for you to say, I don't know what's coming? I don't know what's tomorrow. I don't know what's coming this week with work, with family, with you name it, a litany of things could come. I don't know. But you know what I do know? No matter what, I'm going to respond with trust. Trust in God. God is initiating in your life right now through his word, through circumstances, through relationships, through work, through a whole gob. You know how much a gob is? That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of things. How are you responding to him? You know the ultimate example of someone that said, it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter what I go through. I trust in the Father. The ultimate example was Jesus. As he came to this earth, fully God, fully man, God had a plan for him already, already written out before he showed up onto the scene. And Jesus followed through every step of the way. And you know what was a part of that plan? Suffering and pain and hardship and trial. And what did Jesus do in the midst of it? Complain, murmur, argue, God, this is the worst right now. The thing that he did was he said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Remember that? And then in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, this is probably the greatest example of, of, of Jesus trying to show us to not complain. When they hurled their insults at him, Jesus just got flogged and beaten and just unrecognizable. They're hurling insults and spitting upon him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't say, just wait, it's coming. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, without complaining, without arguing, without murmuring under his breath. He followed through with the Father's will, and he died on the cross for you and for me.